0: All right, one more time. Good morning. Good morning. Ah, <laughs> oh, gosh, too much coffee. Uh, it's great to be with you um, this morning. I am really, I, I'm actually really excited about this morning. I should be all every week to say that, but I am. Uh, this this might this is going to actually probably sound like the conclusion to the to the letter, and in one sense, I want to propose to you that it is. Uh, next week, as we're going to get into chapter five, and we'll end with that next Sunday. Uh, is kind of like an appendix, really, as you're going to see next week. I just want to propose that. So today might sound a little bit like that. Also, I want to encourage you right off the start. This might seem like, I don't know, like we're going to seminary or we're going to uh, geography class or whatever. But this, what the Holy Spirit put on my heart for this week, um, well, I think it's very timely. Uh, again, how would we have known, would we have known, um, three months ago uh, or more, when we started First Peter, Um, that massive earthquakes would hit Turkey and northern Syria this past week? Well, we wouldn't. Who would? But they did. And uh, this is what this letter is being written into, is modern-day Turkey in that day. And it just made me think about uh, them. And, of course, we've been praying for the people in uh, northern Syria and uh, in Turkey and the great devastation there. Like uh, I think the current count is 30,000 people are dead. And uh, there are many, many, many missing. So it's very tragic. And uh, when I pray this morning, after reading of the word, we'll get into that in a little bit. So it's it's made me really focus on that and uh, and think about um, that area, that 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 people in that place, because I think sometimes we can read a letter like this. I know we can. I know I do this, and we can read a letter like this and we go, you know, I just blow some dust up. You know, it's like two thousand years ago. How relevant is that to today? What's that mean for us here today? And, and not recognize that what they were living through, and frankly, the people that they were, is not far removed from who we are and what we're living through at all. And when a tragedy like this strikes, then it, it brings it closer to home, I think. And uh, it just brought to memory, like in 2015, I think it was, Janice and I were invited to go with a number of other church planters to, um, to Turkey. And, and the idea was we were going to go there and we were going to be an encouragement to the church planters there right? and Yeah, okay, good, because we know everything about church planting, and we're North Americans, and we're the bright guys, right? <clears throat> it was a humbling experience. Why? Because they're incredible church planters. We, we learned as much, if not more, from them, and mainly because of the fact that they're going through the persecution, the trials, the fiery trials and that we're reading about here and they look at us and they're like, you guys are too comfortable. Boy, I'm going to show you a picture in a minute of one of the, the guys. He, he said one time when he was talking to us, I, by the way, am not the Apostle Paul. But that's what all of the men and women in his circle of church planters uh, thought of him. Because he was this amazing, amazing mentor and discipler and church planter to all of them. I want to show you some pictures. We were in Ephesus uh, uh, when we went on this tour. This is uh, the ruins of Ephesus. And, and we were told by our guide that this particular road, this that you see here, this is pretty much the only original piece that is from the days of Ephesus. Everything else that you'll see in pictures it has been mostly put back together and isn't necessarily in the same place. So it was kind of interesting. But I, I, I at one moment, and I'm, I'm a little, I can get emotional, believe it or not. And I had to take a step back and sit on some rocks there for a minute because I, I, I still feel this way. I and if you ever get to the Holy Land, to Jerusalem, uh, and, and to places like this, you know, like Paul walked those rocks. Peter, I, mean, I know, they're just men. They're, 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 and Mary, she apparently, by tradition, when she died, she was living in Ephesus. They have a house up on the hill that apparently she lived in. It's quite quirky and weird, but anyway, uh, the tour is anyway. Uh, it's very Catholic. Okay, I just want to say that much, okay? It was, was awesome. But So that was one picture that I remember taking, and, and it was very... A dark and cool day, and then this one here. This is uh, the road is actually down that way where we had just took. But this is looking up from another one. That was the big library, the the main library. So we're we're talking about a place, a people where uh, two hundred and fifty thousand people lived there in the days of Peter and the apostles. It's Abbotsford, okay? Size of population, and so it was an incredible place. the 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 architecture, the the uh, the the Intelli- intellect level. Uh, th- this library had some of the greatest books and so forth in that library of all of the great philosophers and ancient writers in that library. And again, we look back and we go, oh, those those, those people from... <laughs> they were very, very very articulate. This was an amazing place. This was the amphitheater where, again, Paul would have spoken. And it is in its original location as well. Uh, this would hold 25,000 people. And we, we pro- we, I, I remember being uh, way up, I went way up to the very top up there, was out of breath, and uh, one of the guys was down below, did not have this on, and he just started talking. Not yelling, just talking, and you could hear him. It it was acoustically designed so that, it was incredible, just incredible. Last picture I think I have for you, yes, is, this is in Istanbul, this is about a block away from uh, the main street in downtown Istanbul, and those two men, Uh, The Apostle Paul is the one on the right. And uh, I don't want to mention his name because, uh, you know, he's, he, uh, at the time that we were there in 2015, had been in prison and had been beaten 20 times. Not beaten 20 times, but in prison 20 times. Why? Because he's a Christian, promoting the gospel (laughs) and planting churches. And these guys, like those smiles are like, I don't know. We, We had, it was a happy day. Um, and I just I looked at that picture and I thought, you know what? If the if the earthquake had struck Istanbul, all of those buildings would be on the ground. Every one of them would be on the ground. So I wanted to share that with you this morning because, as I'm looking at this, I I, I thought about this and I'm like, you know, um, we've been looking at this that it's modern day Turkey and we've been looking at what Paul has been writing, Peter has been writing. Pardon me. And again, I just want to bring us in contact with. The story of these people in Scripture, is it, are they just an, an, like a one-off in Peter's mind? Are they just like a little story and, and a little blip that we're studying? No. This place has a remarkable history and an amazing place in the ark and the story of God. And I want to show you a little bit about that this morning and see this. At the beginning of the, um, the letter, uh, Peter writes and tells us about these places that he's writing to. He's writing to the elect di- exiles of the dispersion who are in, and he mentions the locations, and you can see them on the screen, uh, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, and you can see them. Th- those, I mean, when, when you first read those, you think, well, those are cities. Actually, they're provinces, just like BC and Alberta. They're provinces, and they're cities within, of course, every province. And then I was thinking about this. I was like, what? okay, hold on. Like, I don't know if you've made this connection before. Maybe most of you have. You're way ahead of me, theologically. But I started thinking about it, and I remembered, hold on. You know, many years after this and after Peter's death, John was given a revelation by Jesus. Remember that? In Revelation 2 and Revelation 3, Jesus says to John, write these letters to the churches where? Right here. There are seven letters, seven churches that are written, and the churches are Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, uh, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. That's written 30 years later, and, and Jesus is writing to the churches. And, and by the way, you can see them. They're all in actually Asia, the province of Asia. and We've been referring to it as Asia Minor. But those seven churches are right in that one area. And so I'm asking the question as I'm reading this, and I'm thinking to myself, What's the significance? Why why would Peter write to them this amazing letter, First and Second Peter, and then why would Jesus choose those seven churches? I mean, why not? You know, like Rome. <laughs> like, why not Philippi, Corinth? Those guys needed a letter from Jesus, right? Paul wrote two, actually three letters, one we don't have. Why? Well, actually, when you study it and you go through it, there's... Commentators and theologians don't have a specific answer for that. I think I do. <laughs> well, one that I want to share with you this morning anyway. But it's interesting, when Jesus writes those letters uh, and says to Peter, uh, John, record these letters and, and deliver them to... He, he, in every one of those letters, he starts with something along the lines of, write to the, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write. I remember reading that, studying that, and thinking, That's amazing. Jesus is speaking to the church in Ephesus. He's speaking to what he sees as one church in Ephesus. There were 250,000 people there. They didn't rent the amphitheater. And even if they did, they'd only get 25,000 people there and no Sunday school. Like, how did that work? Well, they met in homes. And there would have been dozens and dozens and dozens of home churches in Ephesus and in all the other cities. So what's going on here? Well, when Jesus looks down, I believe, and he sees Squamish, he sees one church in several locations, gathering on a Sunday, worshiping him or throughout the week and so forth. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so proud, honestly, not of myself, but of others that have joined with us in this whole churches together thing that is really blossoming right now in Squamish. It's an amazing thing, it's a wonderful thing, and that's part of what we're seeing. But I think that there's another reason why this is all happening. This is, I've, I've called this in the past, Jesus' report cards to those churches. Now, can you imagine getting a report card, The Rock, from Jesus? Well, he is watching. I think he would like to speak to us and give us a report card. And I think he does speak to us and tell us how he feels and what's going on. And sometimes that's a rebuke. <laughs> but it's interesting. I want to show you the highlights of the letters that he writes to these seven churches. The first is the, the, the first three will be Ephesus, Smyrna, and Pergamum. They'll be on screen here for you. And so the highlight to the church in Ephesus is that you are the church that has forsaken your first love, is what Jesus says. That's the main point of the, the letter that he once written to them. He also says in, in that letter to them, he says it one other time to one other church, uh, if you do not repent... I will take your lampstand away from you. I will close your doors as a church. It's Jesus. To the church in Smyrna, the church that would suffer persecution. In the, the letter, when you read it, it, it's basically saying more than others. Then to the church in Pergamum, uh, the church that needed to repent. <laughs> like you, you already know you should be repenting, right? But then he adds, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. What did he mean by that? Literally, there was a throne to Satan there? Well, those we saw in Ephesus when we were there in the ruins, we saw the temples to Diana. The pagan worshiping temples were there. And what Jesus is saying is in Pergamum, the biggest temples, the greatest focus of Satan's reign on earth was there. He goes on to talk about Thyatira, the church that had a false prophetess. Remember her name? Anybody? Sardis, the church that had fallen asleep. Philadelphia, the church that had endured patiently. Ah, an encouraging word. And then Laodicea, of course, the church with the lukewarm faith. So when the Holy Spirit revealed this, I feel to me last week, I spent a lot of time, as I said, trying to figure out what's this all about? Why Why not write to some of these others first? Well, I think there's two reasons why this is what Jesus did. I think the first is, I I see some things here in uh, all of these letters um, that there's a concentration of churches in Asia. Like, they're all in that one little pocket. And that's what Jesus is writing to. And so I wonder sometimes when I look at our day and age today, where would we say, you know, is the greatest pocket of churches today? Well, Abbotsford is famously called within the church the Bible Belt, right? There's several Bible Belts in North America, Not so much in Europe anymore, certainly not in Turkey anymore. And so there's that. There was a concentration there. And Jesus was concerned about that. He wanted them to remain healthy. But the second reason I think that we see that is this. Their impact was actually quite significant in their first 30 years. Very significant for the sake of the gospel, which is why they were being persecuted. And it was in the midst of all this. And so finally, I want to suggest this to you. As I read both First Peter and Second Peter and then to the letters to the seven churches in Revelation, I feel like for you and I here today, and this would be homework for you, I think it would be very valuable for you. Go and read those letters because I think the things that we will learn from those letters to those churches in that day would be great lessons for us today. In a church where maybe, our, I'm not, maybe rock we're not, maybe we are, Church in North, are we lukewarm? Have we left our first love? There's lots of good lessons there, and so that's why I highlight it to you. Let's read our passage for today. I hope this will tie in well for you, and let's see that this morning. First Peter chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 12 to 19, and then I'm going to pray one more time. We'll dive in. Peter writing to the churches, beloved. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good let's pray, yeah gracious heavenly Father, uh, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit well I just we thank you we thank you that uh, you have a plan you've always had a plan that's marvelous it's beyond any of our, our, our human comprehension really to be able to see all of the the connections that you make before the foundation of this world that you foreknew, that you foresaw, that you foreordained would happen, that you work out all things for good for those who love you and trust you, that you work everything out according to your good and perfect plan. And so, Lord, thank you for showing us. Holy Spirit, thank you for showing us some of the connections in those days, in those churches, but also with us here today. So Lord, on that, on that note, we, we feel a deep connection to the people of Turkey and Northern Syria today. Oh Lord, we, we pray for them. We pray for all of them. We pray for every soul, the families who have lost loved ones, for the rebuilding that needs to take place, for the, for the, for the bodies that still would be found. Lord, heal them, heal those people heal their land. And Lord, for the church that's there, Lord, I, I know the people that we met, they will be the church right now. They will be the people who will go to the hardest places. They will. They will walk alongside those people who are struggling. So Lord, I pray. I pray you would do a mighty work there. And I pray that you would do a mighty work in our hearts today as well as we listen to you from your word. And I pray these things in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen. So I only have a title for you this morning, and the title is Being the Faithful Church. And for us, that's being part of it. So verse 12, let me put it on screen for you, says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trail when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. And again, I, I, I have to highlight this because I love this about Peter. Um, I identify with him in so many ways. <laughs> foot and mouth disease, <laughs> uh, various other directnesses that he is, he is like at times. He certainly was in the days that he walked with Jesus. But he has an incredible heart as a pastor. This word beloved is like, it's like, my dear friends, my dearest friends, people that I love above all, you, I'm writing to. He truly wears his heart on his sleeve for those churches. And, and you know what? I am certain that they heard that. I'm certain they heard some hard words from him. In this letter, we've heard hard words from him and the Holy Spirit. But they know and trusted that he loved them. But then he goes on to say uh, something interesting. He says, Do not be surprised at the friary trial when, when, not if, it comes upon you. And so, again, I, I think about this and I reflect on these things and I'm sure we've all experienced events or circumstances in our lives where, where something seems to just come from out of left field. Something where you're like, we find ourselves and we say, well, honestly, I did not see that coming. Honestly, did not see that coming. It comes as a complete surprise, a shock, and, and sometimes it's positive. You know, I won the lottery. No, I didn't. But, you know, like it could be something really positive. It could be like, a, you know, you get, you get a, a promotion at work, you get paid more. You know, uh, someone who you're really got your eyes on, you really like, says, yeah, I'd, I'd go out with you. That's a positive thing. Maybe you never saw that coming, right? And then again, there's the negative, right? Because, of course, in this context, Peter's talking about fiery trials. And so these are things that come upon us, the surprises that are from the negative front. And so, you know, I could spend some time with you. We could could just come up with a whole list of examples of what we might find ourselves being surprised to that came out of left field. Probably one of the most significant ones would be getting a diagnosis. Right? I mean, you look healthy, you feel healthy, and then... mm, I better get that checked. and You get a very serious diagnosis. Or, or you could, in days like this, you could be working away, working as hard as you can, showing up early, staying late. And then one day, your boss calls you into the office and says, yeah, sorry, we got to let you go. That's a fiery trial too, right? Didn't see that coming. So we we can certainly find, I think, encouragement from Peter's letter uh, on the issue that he's been nailing and going over and over for weeks and weeks, and that is how we should respond as Christians in those circumstances. But still, those fiery trials are hard. It's hard to respond positively. Thank you, boss. I know the Lord has something better for me. God bless you. (laughs) No. I, I, I No. That would be very, very, very hard. But this is the thing we need to understand for us today, which was the same for them in that day. These fiery trials were coming upon them for one and one reason only. They were being Christians. They were being faithful and obedient to God's word. That's why they were coming under fiery trials. And so that was a big deal for them. It was really hard for them to be remaining obedient day in and day out to what God's word actually says so when that happens to you or myself when we are slandered or maligned we've been over that in this text because of what we believe about all the current hot button issues in our world and cultures some of us might be at that point going like why me Lord come on I go to church every week, I preach, or I do this, I do that, I serve, I give. You know, I've been witnessing to my neighbors, I've been trying to do good, I've been helping the poor, I've been, you know, doing whatever I can, I'm trying to be a good whatever I do in my line of work, and now this happens to me, your son or your daughter? Yeah. So when this happens, Peter is essentially saying this, don't freak out. He's literally saying that. He's saying, like, don't pull your hair out. Don't freak out over it. If you do, of course, your response is going to be probably wrong. Because what? When we respond wrong to things like that, what are we saying? God was wrong. Is God not in charge here? Is God not in control? Of what's going on? Did he not see this coming? Yeah, surely he did. And so he's saying... That's what we often do. I'm suggesting what we often do when we're taken surprise. I know I do. So we've been over this, but think about it this way again. If you've lived at least 20 to 25 years, and most of you in this room have, the younger ones are upstairs, uh, you, will, you will know that there's a point in time where, where you've seen and heard most of what you see going on in our world today. You, you've, you've seen the, the news about the latest Hollywood award shows. I didn't watch the show, but I heard about it. Another famous person's unhealthy antics, or whatever that might be, what we would often refer to as, you know, the, the world going to H E double L hockey sticks in a handbasket. Yeah. I can say the word. I just like the other one, right? Because I love hockey, right? I know. somebody shaking their heads. But anyway. But, but when well, we all get to the point where we simply lament this, why am I surprised? You've got to be careful there that it's not a holier than now attitude. But the reality is, is that we're saying that because, well, especially as a Christian, you you just know that without the Lord, without the Holy Spirit in them, in us, working out his righteousness in us, in them, we would be just like them, far from God and immersed in our sin. And well, what more can we be surprised at? There's no surprise. Really, there shouldn't be. So therefore, that's, I think, why Peter is saying for the Christian, don't freak out. But also, look, he tells us why. I love this. <laughs> it's not just, don't freak out. Do not be surprised. All right, thanks, Peter. I get pulled over for distracted driving. I'm just saying, you could that could happen. That would come out of blue, right? Somebody told me that that happened to them one time. I mean, he's telling us here in his text, look what he says. He's saying very simply, Glenn, this is a test. This is a test God is giving to you, right? You see that there? This is my way of doing two things in your life, Glenn, my son or my daughter. First, testing you to see how you will respond. How is that work of the Holy Spirit going on in you? How are you going to respond to trusting me? And that's the second Are, Are you going to trust me in this test that I will walk, Lord Jesus will walk with you and with me through this test? That's why it's happening. It's part of our sanctification, part of how we grow as Christians in this life and in this walk. It's also our testimony to this world, how we respond to these tests before us. So just as we shouldn't be surprised by that, we should also not be surprised if the world actually hates us, hates you and me, for what we believe. We shouldn't be surprised that they hate us and that these fiery trials come to us at all, should we? Why? Because of what Jesus said. He said this, and he's recorded in John 15, verses 18 and 19. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you he's alive. He's speaking these words. The world hates me. And that's why they're going to hate you. If you were of the world, meaning you're not supposed to be, we're not supposed to be, the world would love you as its own. Of course it would. You know, Of course it would. Ah, oh, you know, that's okay. No, that's all right. Listen, you know, I love you. God loves you. It's okay. We'll, it, we'll work it out. They're going to love us if we do that. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you, look, out of the world. I've called you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. So again, this is not something that should be strange at all. So as Christians, we can expect it. It should never, ever surprise us. In fact, I'm going to suggest, and I know some of you don't like it when I've done this in the past, but I'm just going to suggest it to you this morning. If if you're not under any attack dealing with any fiery trials, not being canceled, which is a form of hate, well then, why not? Why not? Like, when was the last time you can remember that happening to you? I know when I've said that before, some people have come up to me afterwards, are you saying I should go looking for this? No, <laughs> go, no, I'm just asking the question. Honestly, why is it not happening? Jesus said it would. We should expect it. So, I believe actually we dealt with that earlier on in this letter. In the first couple of messages, I suggested to you most pastors, preachers in most certain special kind of churches today, apparently their churches, will not touch this letter. They won't go here. Why? Name a number of Christians you know who want to talk about suffering for the name of Jesus. (laughs) Who wants to talk about that? We don't want suffering. We want comfort. We don't want to be attacked. We want to be loved. It's avoided. And so I just want us to be careful here. I want us to be careful because if that's our mindset, then we will avoid sharing the truth of God's word with people. Why? Because they will attack us. They will hate us. They will slander us. It might even put us to death. Think that's possible? Hold on. We'll get there. Anyway, Peter goes on. He wants us to see it this way. It's beautiful the way he puts it out. When these things happen to you, and they should, if you're a professing, active Christian in this world, there I said it, we should expect it. It's going to happen. It should be evident from time to time. But he wants us to see it this way. It's a badge of honor. It's a badge of honor. He and John experienced that, right, in the book of Acts? Twice they came back to the crowd. We got beaten for Jesus. Hallelujah. And then they went back out for more. Crazy guys, crazy guys. Verse 13, he says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. This is like a double dose of rejoicing here in this text. Do you see it? It's, it's wonderful. It, it, it's, you get to rejoice today, right now. Okay, maybe tomorrow, next week, when you're slandered, maligned, canceled, told by a friend, I want nothing to do with you anymore. You're to rejoice. Why? Because you're suffering just like Jesus did. You're being rejected just like Jesus. You don't have to be mean and ornery about it. Just believe the word of God. That's enough to get some people to turn on you. And then there's this greater rejoicing that happens as you see late in the text. It says to look forward to when either Jesus comes again or you get to be with him because now you're going to rejoice and you're going to go, I now see what it was all for and what it was all worth because you're going to see his glory face to face. And you know what? You're going to see your own. He's going to glorify us. Can you believe that? Yes, Glenn, one day is going to be glorified. I know. It's hard to accept, but you too will be glorified one day. It's a badge of honor to suffer like Christ, and our reward is a double dose of rejoicing as disciples. But there's more. There's always more in the Scripture, which is awesome. He goes on to say, look, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, this is important, you are blessed because the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. Very important thing you need to understand. We need to understand here. Peter actually uses the word the words here, if you are insulted for the name of Christ. Listen, in that day, in, in the churches in Asia, they didn't call themselves Christians. They didn't go around and go, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm an evangelical. You know, another dirty word today. You know, I, I'm not, they never said that. They were people of the way, they were followers of Jesus. It was a slur that people in that culture used to describe them, you Christians. It was a slur. And so when Peter says this, look what he's saying. If you were insulted for being called a Christian, slander, made fun of, belittled, whatever it might be, right? So I, I got to be honest with you, when I, when I read this and reread this uh, and a few commentaries, some, something jumped out to me here, which is really beautiful, I think, Besides the fact that if you are insulted, which is the same as slandered and maligned, for what? For the name of Jesus Christ, for being his disciple, for simply being a Christian. Look, you are blessed. Remember that word, makarios? The Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, where Jesus said, it won't be on screen, blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, uh, against you falsely on my account because of my name, It's such a beautiful picture, and we realized at that time a better, maybe for our English translations, word for blessed is flourishing, which means we're living the good life. When this is happening to us, we've got to see that. Jesus is looking down at the Rock Church right now, at all of the the one church in Squamish, and he is observing us, and he is blessing us when we struggle. He's blessing us. The Holy Spirit is blessing us, and that is the other picture here. That I didn't see before, and I want to show you here. Look at the words here, and this is really, really incredible. He says, so you're, you're blessed, and this is good, but look also, the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. I don't know about you. I know Rudy's big into this. Me too. How many of us want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? When was the last time you knew that you were filled with the Holy Spirit and you were prompted to be like Rudy and speak in tongues? <laughs> Pray in tongues, whatever. Give a prophetic word. Yeah, he knew this was coming, okay? But here's the thing, just be empowered. Actually feel on a daily basis that you have the power of the living God in you, which you do, but that he's filling you and he's empowering you to actually be the kind of Christian you're being called to be. This text is telling you and I, when this happens to you, it's telling us two things. One, when this happens to you, the Holy Spirit will fill you and empower you to deal with it but you will also experience it. Amen? Bring on the persecution. (laughs) It's a beautiful picture that we're being shown here to be empowered like this. He goes on, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, there's the word. He used that word. Let him not be ashamed, but let him glory Glorify God in that name. I love that that he does that because to me that's kind of saying like, okay, they're going to use that name and use it derogatorily. It's the name of Christ. We're going to to claim it. We're going to claim that name and we're going to show that that name is beautiful and it's good. And from that day on, scripture will tell you that this time is when they started being called Christians in the book of Acts. It's really, really wonderful that that we see these coming, coming together. Okay, so... I find this interesting when he 's saying he tells us he 's not going to take anything for granted he 's clearly making a comparison between suffering for something we deserve here in this text, being a murderer evil doer or someone who meddles with with suffering for something that we do not deserve so he 's trying to show us a comparison there, obviously, on the one hand like you shouldn 't suffer for doing uh, really good things, although as Christians you will, but if you 're going to do really bad things, murder you know, these kind of things, of course you would expect that. Be a thief, an evildoer, or as a meddler, yes, of course you should. You should expect it to be punished and to suffer. But what he gets at here is actually quite remarkable. When he says murderer, again, do you remember the Sermon on the Mount? (laughs) Because Jesus said, listen, I'm not just talking about taking the life of another. If you hate your brother or your sister, you're a murderer. In God's economy, it's the exact same thing. The word here that I find most interesting is the word meddler. I love that word. Uh, The King James Version, I like to to call it the venerable old King James Version, translates that word this way. A busybody in other men's matters. All right now, this gets close to home, doesn't it? Right? You're not a murderer, you're not an evildoer, a thief or whatever. Good. You're going to make it. On the final day, on the day of judgment, you're going to get in. Meddling? You know, the line between a meddler and a gossip is pretty fine. Kind of the same thing. Kind of person who's always got an opinion about something, typically about somebody else, right? Putting your nose. So so basically what Peter's been getting at for chapters now is emphasizing over and over again in his letter how we respond as Christians, when we're attacked, when we're persecuted, and the key is always this. Do not return evil for evil. Have we we heard that yet? Do not return evil for evil, right? Do not slander or malign in return for being slandered and maligned. Don't do that. Oh boy, that's hard. Instead, we offer a defense for the truth that is in us, the hope in us, which is Christ, with gentleness and respect. And now Peter warns us again, don't be going around poking your nose into other people's businesses. Don't do that careful what you post on social media, especially judgmental comments. Verse 17, he says, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if he begins with us, what will the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God, he could add, be? So like last week's passage, he encouraged us to, first of all, examine ourselves. It's got to start with, The sin in our own hearts and our own lives, it's got to start in the local church. Prayer and fasting is awesome. We're going to do it. We also need to be repentant people. We need to repent of our sins. And so the reason why he's getting back at this is because it's all in light of judgment last week he what he wrote and we read and we talked about it's in light of judgment it's in light of us all understanding that one day you and I every human being who's ever lived is going to stand before Christ and we are going to be judged for our works and he's trying to point out again here one more time to you and I as the church that we need to understand we need to understand that look if if you're saved you cannot lose your salvation but you're still going to be judged and so he wants us to examine ourselves now. Why? Because we're to grow and put away the sin in our lives, the fleshly nature, so that we can grow. Why? So that we can become healthier, so that we can one day arrive before Christ. And when he says, well done, good and faithful servant, enter your rest, we can go, whew. And that's all he said. Because if, if we haven't grown in that way and we've continued in sin, there are going to be some words. <laughs> there are still consequences. Not eternal death, but there's still consequences for that. But he's also Christian, wanting us to understand that in this life, when we're not growing in life and faith and in holiness and righteousness with God, then our witness and our testimony is worse than lukewarm. It's just not effective at all. And so it's really, really important because he's really concerned about those who do not obey the gospel. He's really concerned about those people. He concludes with these words, and if the righteous is scarcely saved, which is what you and I are, we're going to get there, we are going to get there, but we're still going to be scarcely saved, but we're saved. It's awesome the way he puts this. What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? He's quoting from Proverbs 11, I believe, here, and he's like this again is like, do you not care? I'm pounding this pulpit. I can't believe it. I, never, I was never able to do that with a music stand. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Shane. (laughs) Okay, sorry. Serious moment here, actually. No, really. He wants us to be concerned about all those who haven't received Christ. Every day. He wants us to be more concerned about them than we are of ourselves. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, and love yourself. No, love your neighbor as you already love yourself is essentially what that teaching tells us. So one way we could hear this would be this. If believers in the course of their lives undergo testing from God as he deals with the sin that remains in us, how will he deal with those who do not repent of their sins at the final judgment? Christians, he wants us to be aware of that. But he also wants his letters and his word to be read in the local church because there may be people in the room or watching online or people you point to, to listen to this sermon or whatever, who will hear that, who are not saved. And they will recognize the gravity of that situation. And that's why this is being said. So, in conclusion, let me tie some of this together, I hope. Tradition tells us, history and tradition and and some aspects of the scripture, that Peter was definitely faithful until he was crucified upside down because he didn't want to dishonor Christ by being crucified in the same way. Ten years after he wrote this letter, he was put to death as a faithful and obedient apostle, pastor, and elder, as we'll read about next week. Yeah. Then 25 to 30 years later, Jesus gave letters to John to deliver to the seven churches, which we reviewed earlier. And there's a lesson for us here today, I believe, in that. And here's the lesson. The lesson is literally 30 to 50 years after they received those letters from John in the book of Revelation, those churches all disappeared. They're gone. Well, they're gone to this day, really, but they were gone in that day. 30 to 50 years after the letters came from Jesus about them. So what happened? History is actually not incredibly clear about one aspect of it, but it's very clear about one. (laughs) And that is is that, again, seven or eight years after these letters were received, Nero, the great or, more, more, better put, infamous Nero, murdered, killed as many Christians as he possibly could. So most of them went to their death, but not all. And this is where, again, church tradition uh, pops in. It appears that those who survived, listen, maybe you could excuse them for this, went completely silent. More, there was a great falling away. Many of them just said, nah, enough of that. Where's my God? How could you let that happen? Not going to happen to me. And they fell away from the faith, and they went back into their pagan worship and back into their previous lifestyles, and those churches folded. When Peter's writing this letter, it's only about slander and maligning and things like that, right? Things that you and I, what we could take. Here's the thing that I want us to be careful about. Don't you think that in that day when they got this letter from Peter, they might not have collectively thought, oh, Peter, you're going on a lot of, about a lot of things. <laughs> like, it's, it's not that bad. They're just saying terrible things about us. They're not giving us the best jobs because we won't sign up in the way they want us to sign up or sign off the way they want us to sign off. Did they expect they would be killed? No, I don't think they did. What do we expect today? Is it off the radar? Is it not possible? Well, Jesus actually prophesied about these days. Their days and the end days. Let me read what he said in Matthew 24. He, been, in Matthew 24 and 25, he's talking about the end times. They're constantly questioning, well, what's it going to be like at the end? When are you going to wind things up? When is it going to be good? When's it going to end? And at this point, he says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake, And then many, look at these words, will fall away and betray one another, and hate one another. He's talking talking to his disciples. He goes on, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. You've left your first love, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Throughout the New Testament, we are told what the very last days will look like. We're told what they're going to look like. It's not going to be up and to the right, guys. It's just not going to be that way. We shouldn't be lukewarm or lackadaisical about this. Not living in fear. We know where we're going. That's what the scripture teaches us. We're going to glory, be glorified with him. It's going to be awesome. Paul adds this word of prophecy, and I'll end with this this morning. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, he says, Let no one deceive you in any way. He's talking about the very end days. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. That word rebellion there actually can be better translated falling away. And we get the word apostasia from, apostasy, pardon me, from the Greek word, which is apostasia. In other words, in those last days in the church, in the church, friends, there will be a great falling away a great apostasy. What is apostasy? Not trusting and believing in the actual word of God. These days will be marked by this great apostasy, such as the world has not seen. So I'll leave you with this question, two of them actually. Are we there, church? Remember the fig tree? It's the one thing Jesus said that we'll, we'll, you will know. Just put your finger in the air, and when you will feel the breeze, you'll know it's the season. Are we close? We need to pray to that end and be brave until the end. Let's pray.